Welcome back to How to Be Queer. This is Chris. And this is Callum. And today we're talking about pansexuality with Sarah. Okay. 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 All right. Let's get right into it. Welcome. Thank this you. Is How to Be Queer. And we are back. Usually what we do when we have a guest on the podcast, uh, we have you introduce yourself. So if you don't mind introducing yourself, tell us about yourself. Tell us some like, you know, pronouns, name, identifiers, whatever the heck you want. Just give us, give us you. Okay. Um, my name is Sarah Savoya and I am a uh, queer, pansexual, non-binary, disabled, white settler on Turtle Island. I am an educator um, and I am dismantling systems every single day. That is my goal and uh, that is what I do. <laughs> Sarah, I may, I may have missed it, but what pronouns would you like us to use? Oh, I did not, thank you. I did not um, state my pronouns, my pronouns are she, they. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Do you have a preference for use with them or do you just use them interchangeably or how do you, how would you like us to use them? Interchangeably is fine. Words are hard. Interchangeably is fine. <laughs> I, feel, I feel. First question. So what does pansexuality mean to you? To me, it means loving someone regardless of their gender identity and gender expression. Okay. Um, gender to me is simply a social construct and how I view pansexuality is um, is acknowledging that gender is a social construct and not letting these social constructs hinder my relationships with others, whether it's romantically or platonically. Um, and that is, yeah, that is what it means to me. How, what has been your journey towards becoming, not becoming, but like, how did you figure out you were pansexual? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I honestly, I grew up in a Italian Roman Catholic household. Um, although my generation is very set in its ways, uh, going to church every weekend. And you know, I was taught in schools within the Catholic system that anything other than being hetero and cis was not only a sin, but um, would essentially drag me to hell. That being said, my parents have always been very progressive. Um, they have always opened up conversations within the household. But it still took me 26 years to accept my sexuality. Um, I always knew that I was queer. I always knew that I, I wasn't straight. I just didn't know exactly how I identified. And I know that a big reason for that as well was because there wasn't authentic representation for me. I didn't have representation in school. I didn't have representation within the community. It wasn't until I took my master's in education that has a social justice focus in it where I actually started to learn about social constructs and what they meant. And when I was reading, studying all of these social constructs and how they came to be, my academic brain kind of pushed those feelings aside of, of what had been building up for so many years, being born and raised Catholic. Um, and I was, I was able to kind of understand who I am as a person and understand why I felt this heavy cloud of guilt for so long. Um, it did take me a while to come to terms with it for about a year and a half. I was talking about it with my two sisters and with my best friends until I finally came out and, uh, and told my, my other friends and my family. So 
it was definitely a journey. It was not an easy one. <laughs> but now that I am out, it hasn't even been a year. I came out last June. Um, but my life has just changed completely. I've never felt more happy uh, just being able to live authentically. We love to hear that. We really do. I think the, I mean, this is not surprising for anyone in the community, but the biggest thing that Chris and I have heard over and over and over again when we chat with people is the lack of representation and how that hinders and how it muddles the way that we think we're supposed to exist in this world. And so I'm wondering when you, when you came out, was pansexual the first label that you were like, this is me? Or was there something before that? You know what? I've never thought of that because mm. I, I only, I think I went from being in complete denial to full acceptance like in a way, like it was very weird, my journey. I think, I really do believe that the academic portion that I experienced within my master's was a huge push for me because I was then again, able to logically look at social constructs and how they were built within our systems and understand why our, our systems are so are horrible. So I don't know, I think, I think I was definitely always kind of identified as pansexual. And the reason for that was I always knew that I've always been romantically and sexually attracted to more than two genders. Um, and I've always been sexually attracted to and romantically attracted to, you know, people who necessarily don't fit a binary by any means. Um, and yes, that can kind of go hand in hand with bisexuality too. I know that all of these terms are very interchangeable and it, it does depend on the person and how they identify. But for myself, I think, um, pansexuality was just what felt the most fitting and what does feel the most fitting yeah I mean it has to be the one that fits right like when at the end of the day it's the one that you identify with and if bisexual doesn't work for you then bisexual doesn't work for you no matter what right mm -hmm. how do other parts of your identity factor into your panness or do they even play yeah. a part? They don't necessarily have to, but like also like- No, they definitely do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's taken a while, um, but I think the biggest part for me is honestly just, I'm going to go back to this dismantling and it might just be the educator in me as well, but, but really dismantling the systems when it comes to upholding the gender binary. And I think that my pansexual identity has kind of given me more of a passion for that now that I have accepted myself for who I am and not only accepted myself, but I celebrate myself. So in the day-to-day -day life, I very much acknowledge things that I feel as though cisette people may not acknowledge as much, like the use of gender-inclusive washrooms um, and change rooms or how binary plays out and, and everywhere we go and everything we see. Um, I think that then again, now that I'm, I have been living authentically for some time, <laughs> um, I'm definitely more hypervigilant than I was prior to, because now it is affecting me as, as an out queer trans person. And I was very privileged behind hiding that for so long. And I acknowledge that. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely changed my view on everything that I do and and the systems that surround us as well. Actually, I'm going to backtrack just a second, just because we were talking about representation. I took a hard left, but I want to ask you, like, 
was there someone who kind of like made you like was it just like for me to be honest I've uh, throughout it I've seen words and been like oh that one fits me or like oh that one fits me but then with non-binary for example it wasn't the word that fit me it was a person who claimed that title and was like oh I'm non-binary and I was like oh if you're non-binary that kind of makes sense okay I'm also maybe non-binary so like was it did it have to do with representation or like that made you see your pansexuality did it have to do with representation that made you see your non-binariness like how, how did representation play a factor at all in coming out last year it's really funny that you asked that because the biggest inspiration in my life is my nephew so I have a nephew who's currently 12 and they are trans male pansexual. It's funny because I actually wrote a blog about this last year, but I think another reason why I was so hesitant on coming out was because my nephew had started transitioning in grade four and he had a really hard time transitioning. He was bullied. He was ridiculed. The family was supportive. We are so lucky to have an extremely supportive family that automatically welcomed him and opened him or opened arms for him but everything else was difficult and yes there was a sense of fear seeing what he had gone through and, and what he continues to go through this day but there was also a sense of here's my nephew the last thing I want to do is center myself and push him out of the spotlight and so for a while there when I had come to terms with my sexuality I didn't know when to tell my parents or my, my sisters, my family in general, because I didn't want to, I guess, hinder, this is how I viewed it, <laughs> hinder um, the support that my nephew was, was given. And when I had actually come out to him, I told him on my bed, we were sitting down and, and I told him, I said, look, I need to tell you, like, I'm, I'm pansexual. And he started crying and he looked at me and he said, you're my plant. You're my queer aunt. Oh, <laughs> it was just, it was in that moment too, where, you know, I, I, I kind of took a step back and I was like, holy, can I swear on here? Absolutely. Get yourself, okay. get those words out. I was like, holy fucking shit. You know, like here I am. I, I just couldn't believe his reaction. And it was, it was so beautiful. And I acknowledge that him and I could start building this queer community together um, and have each other to lean on. And I also reflect on the fact that here is a child who cried because someone close to them in their life showed representation in a way as well. And that also changed the way that I teach. Because I looked at that and I thought to myself, would I have come out sooner? Would I have accepted myself sooner if I had representation within the classroom growing up? If I had representation within the community growing up? And so his reaction was the best thing that I could have asked for. <laughs> and he was definitely, I would say, he's definitely the biggest influence in my life. And he as well was the reason why in my master's, I specifically focused on studying gender identity because I wanted to learn how to support him to the best of my abilities and through those studies I learned the social construct of the binary um, and so he definitely has changed my life for the better for sure that's wonderful I love that so much on on a again another left turn this is what happens on this podcast <laughs> I think I think it's so interesting and Chris, I won't speak for your, for you, but 
I also very much, I'm not an, I'm not a traditional educator, um, but I very much subscribe to that label. And I very much subscribe to the label as an academic. And as someone who knows you, Chris, I would also see you falling under those labels. And it's very interesting, the more people in the community that I meet who are educators or, um, or teachers in any way, shape or form. And it seems to take us so long to come to the realization of our own queerness because we've spent so much time overthinking and analyzing it. And it's so interesting that all of a sudden one day, some piece of knowledge or some piece of literature clicks and it's like the stage lights go on and we're like, oh yeah, that, that phrase, that label, that description of a person makes sense for me. And I just think it's so beautiful the way that we're able to take traditionally a very oppressive institute and we're able to take that education, we're able to use it to inform ourselves and uplift our own community. Um, how did you, so you, it sounds like you kind of learned who you were during education. So how did you come to be wanting to be a teacher? Interesting. Uh, I knew that I was going to be a teacher at the age of three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's a teacher. Um, she's, she's a primary junior educator and I would go to school with her some days. And that was very much normalized in the 1900s. <laughs> in the 1900s, please don't ever say that again. <laughs> Oh my God. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. You look great. <laughs> you look you. amazing. You're fabulous for a dinosaur. You need to drop know, that right? skin routine. <laughs> Anyways, oh my God. Back then, I just know yeah. that things have changed. But um, when I was so I was born 1994. So 1997, 1998, I started going to school with my mom before I was even registered as a student, and. Um, I distinctively remember one day she was teaching uh, senior kindergarten at the time. They weren't, the two weren't amalgamated yet, JK and SK. And I was telling the students what to do and they wouldn't listen to me. And so I go to my mom and I'm like, mom, they're not listening to me. And she's like, well, Sarah, you're not the teacher. And I'm like, yes, I am. She's like, no, you're not. I was like, I'm the teacher's daughter. I am the teacher. <laughs> and it was in that moment where I was like, I need to be a teacher. When I now, with that being said, growing up, there were some, actually, mostly for all of my life, up until grade, I would say grade 10. In grade 10, I started to question things. Um, I started to look into photojournalism, photography. I'm also an actor, so I started to look into kind of going that route, the acting route specifically. And um, it, it was... <laughs> I used to work at Sportcheck and I was helping this mom and her little one one day and the mom had to try on some clothes and so I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll watch him in the change room as you go in there and she comes out, she's like, are you a teacher? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, you have to be, like you are such a natural with kids. And this is actually in grade 12, no word of a lie. It was a day before university applications closed. So I went home and I was like, oh, I've already been accepted to photography, photojournalism, all that stuff. I'm going to apply to Con Ed. And I did that. Um, and that was kind of my realization of like, I need to, I need to be with kids. I love them. And I know that there's many different routes of education and, and I love all of them. Um, but I think, like I've said 
previously is it's really important that these children have teachers who fight for them and teachers that represent them. Um, because oftentimes in my experience, we sometimes see representation more in secondary, post-secondary, not as much in elementary. And that is something that I've even before I came to terms with who I am, when it comes to my queerness, I've always believed that that students need representation. I wanted to know because you did your master's on trans children education. Mm -hmm. Tell me why trans kids are not confused. <laughs> well, first of all, <laughs> I feel like I'm just a record on repeat right now, but gender is a social construct. Like, I don't know how much more I can say regarding that. If you do not see gender as a social construct you are ignorant like that is that it's it's scientifically proven and has been scientifically proven that gender is a social construct now with that being said too i mean why aren't cis kids labeled as being confused i can flip that as well right we can say that teachers who read books regarding hetero families are pushing their hetero agenda down kids throats like it can go both ways and so at the end of the day this is something I struggle with because I get very heated up. And sometimes, especially as an educator, when I'm in the classroom, it's different, but I have to remember that everyone is also on their own learning journey. And I was once there too, like before my master's, I can honestly say that I was equally as ignorant as a lot of people that I come into contact with. And I'm still ignorant. There's still things that I will never know. But at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> it comes down to, I think, listening to those who are queer and trans and what I also want to say kind of going sidetrack a little bit even if there weren't peer-reviewed articles that have proven that gender and sexuality are both social constructs it takes so much more energy to be a bigoted asshole than it does to simply love people for who they are so much more energy and so yes you do not have to understand someone you do not have to understand transness and queerness. But at the end of the day, the least that you can do is be respectful and accept people for who they are. And so when people do say stuff like that, I'm not going to be able to change people's minds. You know, I can send XYZ articles, I can send my thesis over. <laughs> but if they're not open to learning, they're not going to learn. And so at the end of the day, I tell my students this too. You're not going to, you're not going to like everyone. You're not going to understand everyone, but at the end of the day, you need to be respectful. And that's on that. I fucking love it. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Trans kids. And you know what? It's not even like, this is what bothers me too, is that like our kid, like kids are confused all the fucking time. Like, why are we saying that it's like this unique thing that like, oh, trans kids should not be like, kids should not be confused. Like we're confusing them. It's right. like, Okay. <laughs> hold your horses they're confused about fucking gravity so like get over it like it exists though you know like it's <laughs> i don't know you know as um, talking about confused kids just a quick little story so i have a 12 year old nephew who's trans male and i also have a four-year-old nephew there's a big age gap there they're brothers but um my four-year-old nephew he's starting to learn how to spell people's names and so um, just for the sake of confidentiality right now i'll say that my my 12 year old's nephew name is mike and so my four-year-old nephew came up to my sister and I one day, he goes, mom, 
Is tram spelt M I K E? <laughs> because he understands that his older brother is trans. Oh he's, he's still four, right? So just understanding that concept has been. It's a learning journey, um, but it's, yeah, that was a cute little story of, like, kids don't know, like, kids are confused, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, the eldest transitioned before the youngest even could understand, and even at this age, at four, like, people are confused, we will always be confused, but I think it's also, too, just a prime example of how hate is taught, mm-hmm. and how acceptance is taught, mm-hmm. and he just looks up to his older brother as that, his older brother, who he loves, and sometimes questions if his first name spells out trans, but that's <laughs> <laughs> just hilarious. <laughs> that is wild. I'm obsessed. Like that's the whole thing is that like confusion leads to learning, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's where the learning happens. So if you're confused, you're on the right track. A lot of my friends have children. It's been such a joy to watch them a discover and like understand who I am as I've transitioned, but also when they take that learning and they apply it in their own life. Like I have one small person in my life who is almost four. And so they've known me since they were born. And they say, Cal, we're gonna go do this. And they say to their parents, they say, Cal and I, they're gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And they understand the pronouns. And then when we're at the park, they'll come up to us and they'll say, that's my new friend. They are doing this because they don't know what their pronouns are. And they're like, this is their name, but I don't know their pronouns. So they're doing this now. It's beautiful. And, and it's amazing. It's, it's, there's no confusion. And it's, it's also too how there's no confusion and the plasticity of the brain as mm-hmm. well. Right. And something similar actually happened with my partner, my, my partner's trans mask and they use they them pronouns. And my nephew my four-year-old nephew was, you know, sometimes when we talk about my partner, he'll say he, him. And then I'll, all I'll have to do is be like, they. Like, just kind of in general conversation, be like, they're coming over. And then right away, the plasticity kicks in, right? And it's interesting how the brain works. Because mm-hmm. here is a four-year-old, and because my partner is masculine identifying, right, he has already been taught in a way to look at this person and use he, him pronouns. But I don't even have to have that conversation with him at this time. All I have to do is just use the proper pronouns in front of him, the correct pronouns. And without a question, he adapts. It's beautiful. It's the plasticity of the brain and also the plasticity of the understanding of their limits. Like children understand feelings. They understand how they feel. They understand when their friends say, oh, I'm feeling sad or I feel like I don't want to play. And so it's so interesting because there's been times where we've had those conversations and I'll be like, well, I don't feel like a girl or a boy. And they're like, okay, I don't feel like a girl or a boy sometimes either. And I'm like, uh-huh. see how easy that was. And, and it's, it's funny because we laugh as adults. We're like, oh, if it could only be that simple, but like, it is that but simple. it can, <laughs> it is that simple. Is. That's, that's the funny part is because it is. And we yeah. just, we don't want to talk about it. All right. The final question. Do you have anything else that you want to add about panness or about anything in general slash please plug? Oh my God. You put me on the spot here, Christopher. I know. All I can say is just, I, I dream of a world 
where people don't even have to quote unquote come out. I dream of a world where people can live authentically, love authentically, be authentically, celebrate authentically without fear. And when it comes to gender and sexuality, I hate even saying this, but it's deemed as complex because of the world that we live in. But like we just said, it really isn't that complex. <laughs> so I just, I want to thank you both for having me on here. I, I'm very happy um, that I am here and I'm honored that I was asked to be here. And it's critical that these conversations continue because this is what representation looks like. And like what Calvin, you were saying earlier is, you know, we need representation. Kids need representation. Kids need representation. Adults who are still fearful of living authentically need representation. So I just want to say that I love everyone and I hope that everyone can live authentically with us one day. Yes, absolutely. It's beautiful. Uh, well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. We're so happy to have had you and you are now a friend thank of the podcast you. too and you'll be back. I can guarantee you. So thank you so much for coming Perfect. on. Oh. Thank you very much, both of you, for having me.